Today we're going to study from the uh, Old Testament book of Ezekiel, uh, starting in chapter 36, if you want to turn there. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen, and it's inside your bulletin on an outline as well. Um, if you missed last week, we set some things in a foundation format for who the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is not, um, according to the Word of God. We talked a lot about how um, in, in a lot of churches of today, um, there's a lot of misconceptions and twisted information about the Holy Spirit, and so we dug into the Word of God because that's where we always want to go to see what the truth is. And so we looked at what does the Word of God actually say about the Holy Spirit and what does it not. So you can go back and listen to that one last week for free online if you'd like to, to kind of catch up. Today we're going to learn some new stuff um, about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of learn it in an interesting way. Um, my mind is a little bit bizarre sometimes, and so it's going to start in a weird place, but I'm going to bring it in, I promise. We're going to land the plane. Um, today is about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, because that's more practical than last week. That's how, how do we make decisions? How does the Holy Spirit guide us in our lives? How do we hear His voice? Um, and this is stuff that I've learned over the years, so now I'm bringing it to you um, from experience and from the Bible. So oftentimes what I, what I bring to you is what God has first fed me with. And so this is some powerful stuff that has really changed my life um, that I've learned about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to share a few verses uh, from Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, this is one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible. And it's interesting because Ezekiel, some of you are thinking, it's in the Old Testament. And last week we talked about how God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside the hearts of believers in Acts, which is a New Testament book. So it's kind of weird that he's going back to the Old Testament, but I think that Ezekiel in this chapter, he describes the Spirit of God in such a powerful, powerful way. It's so clear that I really think you're going to get a lot out of it. So um, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22, God tells him, therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things. What things? So if you know the context here, God is promising here to bring His people back because He's brought them out of captivity, but there's been some hiccups, mainly because of their disobedience, mainly because they've become a little desolate um, in their sin, and sin has kind of taken them over again. And so He's trying to call them back, and He's making a promise about His Spirit and how He's going to restore to his people, the precious gift that he promised them. Um, and so he says, it's not for your sake, though, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. He says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. When I am proved holy, through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and bring you back into your own land, the land I promised you. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and now give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. So today I want to talk to you about a, a kind of an interesting way of explaining it that we're going to call the spirit loop, all right? And I'm going to explain that in a minute. And in order to do that, I need to first explain to you something that I've been reading in a book. There's a book called, uh, uh, it's called uh, The Habit, The Power of Habit. And, uh, and it's, a, it's actually a business book or a leadership book or a book about how to make changes in your life. It's not a faith-based book. 
But oftentimes what I find is when I'm reading all these different books and they're presenting some of these um, principles as this cutting edge new idea, um, you can usually always find it in the ancient text of Scripture. So it's kind of like plagiarizing God. Um, and so this book, though, is all about not what do we do in life and how do we figure out what to do and what to do, but, but why do we do it? So, in other words, if we have certain habits in our life or certain sins, why are those there and how come we can't get rid of them? That's what this book is about. At the same time, it talks about the other stuff, the good side of it. If we have certain good habits in our lives that are constant in our lives, why is it that those are present every week consistently? Why is that? And so he talks about that. Um, and so the way that the habit loop works, I'm going to start there. And if you want to draw this on your paper, you can. But we have this thing that he talks about in the book called the habit loop. And how it works is he says, and I'm going to explain this, they have this thing when you form a habit in your life called a cue. Okay? And the cue is then followed by something called the routine, which is then followed by something called the reward. Okay, so this is what he refers to in the book as the habit loop. And it just repeats itself over and over again. And so what I'm going to show you in a minute is this is very similar to how the Holy Spirit of God actually works uh, in our lives. So in this book, he talks about a lot of different habits that he's formed over the years. One of those habits is running, something that I can't stand. But he loves to go running and he's formed this in his life. And so he talks about how most people that go running every week or every day, if you're crazy, um, there's this thing that happens that causes them to get up and go run, which is called a cue. So something in their life cues them every morning to get up and go run. Okay? And then the routine, of course, would be the fact that they're running, and the reward is they're more healthy. They feel better. They're more fit. That type of thing. So that's kind of how the habit loop uh, uh, works. He also talks about some businesses that we know of, like Cinnabon. And so, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you ever go to a mall, ours used to have one, I don't think it's there anymore, is it? But if you go to a mall where there's a Cinnabon, did you notice that Cinnabon is never in the food court with the rest of the food? All across the country, they're only willing to put Cinnabon in the corridor of the mall, not in the food court. And the reason that they do that is because that glorious smell fills the corridors and causes you to, like a zombie, run toward them to consume that sugary, carbohydrate-laden, heavenly substance. And so that's why they do that. Because the cue is not distracted or overwhelmed by all the other food, like the pizza and the Chinese food and all the tacos and all that stuff. So that's why they do that. I found that very fascinating. The funniest one that he talks about, <laughs> and I think it's so interesting, is toothpaste. So uh, the toothpaste company in the early 1900s hired this guy, this marketing genius, to come do an ad campaign for them to get toothpaste into more American households. Um, and the way that he got people to buy toothpaste, because I don't know if you know this, but in that era of our history, people were not brushing their teeth. It was actually an epidemic. Um, people's teeth were rotting out really badly. Uh, it was a, a, a very small amount of people that even had toothpaste in their homes in America during the early 1900s. And so this toothpaste company wanted to capitalize on that to sell their toothpaste and sell their products. So they hired this guy, and he designed this ad campaign. And so he talks about the queue. And the queue, some of you may remember, I don't, probably not, because it was way back then, but maybe it carried on, is this would be the, this would be the queue. Run your tongue across your teeth. Do you feel that dingy, dirty film? Brush with Pepsodent, and it'll be gone. And then they flash the smile, right? and there's a smile. And so the cue, 
run your tongue across your teeth. The routine, brush with Pepsodent. The reward, clean mouth. Okay? Now, what he said, though, is none of this is the stuff that actually made that work. The stuff that actually made it work was what we call what's in the center, which is the craving. The craving is what made it work. And the craving was not created by any of this stuff. The, cr- the cue, the routine, the reward, it wasn't created. Because there were other toothpaste companies that were using the same cue. They were using the same routine, the same reward. The smile was the reward, right? But here's what happened. This toothpaste company did this thing where they put specific ingredients into the toothpaste that made it different from every other toothpaste on the market. Because some of the other toothpaste companies hadn't done this. And so Pepsodent was the toothpaste, by the way, that took American households from having only 7% of American households even having toothpaste in their homes to 65% within five years. So that's a big deal. That's a big jump. Thank God that happened. Because we get close in this church, especially on Sunday, you're sitting close to people and that would not be a good thing. So, so the question then is, what is it that caused people to want Pepsodent? And the author suggests that it was the ingredients in Pepsodent because it was the way that it made your mouth feel. Because what happened is they added these ingredients to it, like citric acid and mint oil and these different things like that, that actually made your mouth tingle. And so it created this feeling of freshness. It didn't actually clean your teeth better than any of the other products on the market. But the fact that it gave you that feeling made you, when you didn't no longer have that feeling, you wanted to go back to it time and time again. It was the only one that people would use. So it was the craving they created that drove the habit. So now what I want to suggest to you is that in a similar way, some of you are like, this is a weird church service. Now I'm going to get spiritual, okay? So I'm going to suggest to you that there's something also called the spirit loop, okay? And so there's three primary jobs of the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about in order, okay? But here's kind of how that would work. The Holy Spirit does this thing that's called purify. He also does this thing called prompt. And then he does what would be kind of like the reward, which is he produces, Now, the difference between this is we're no longer talking about a craving. At this point, we're talking about the driving force of all of this, how the Holy Spirit actually works in your life. And the driving force is the desire that He puts in our hearts. The desire for us to live and become more like Jesus Christ. That is the desire that God wants in every single one of our hearts. And anything that does not make us more like Jesus Christ, He wants to remove as He slowly, continually, consistently makes us more and more like Jesus. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. So, um, these all start with the letter P in the spirit of the author, so you can remember them. So, here's the thing. Hidden within that passage we read earlier, Ezekiel 36, is a clue to the reason that many of you, when we're singing songs about surrendering to God and giving ourselves fully to God, you want to mean those words a lot more than you actually do in your heart. There's a clue in here as to why that might be. And I think that within this passage, there's something that's very revolutionary that's really helped me and it's going to help you. So when Ezekiel starts talking to the people about what God wants to do in their life, I think the first thing you'll notice is it's not about them. And God tells them that. He says it's not for your sake. It's not about you. In verse 24, he says, I'll take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. But then verse 25, this is the heart of it. 
I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. Your heart of stone, which you can't feel, will be now replaced with a heart of flesh where you can feel the things that God feels. You can have the desires that God has because that's what we're supposed to strive for. So, in that, when we want to be led by God, when we want God to direct us, when we are asking those questions, where is God leading me? Most of us start with the decision that we want God to help us make. And then that's where we go in our prayer life. I believe that what this is saying is we need to start from the inside instead of from the decision that, God wants, that, that we might want God to help us make. So for example, you know, people want God's advice on a lot of different things that seem so small. Like, where do I send my kids to school, God? Where do I go to school? What do I study when I get there? Um, uh, you know, where am I going to get married? Uh, uh, what job am I supposed to have uh, when I get into the workforce? So I think that God is way more interested in who your kids grow up to be than where they go to school. I think God is way more interested in who you are in whatever job you work than what job you work. I think God is much more interested in how you conduct yourself at college when you get there than which college you choose. I think those are the things that matter to the heart of God. And so the primary job of the Holy Spirit is to purify us, to purify our hearts. I don't usually do this because I don't like to throw these big terms out there, but there's two terms that I want to describe today because they're not talk one of them's not talked about near enough in the church. So here's the thing. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, he cleanses us from our sins immediately, right then and there. That's what we call salvation in the church. That's salvation. We give our lives to Jesus Christ. We surrender to him, you know, and he gives us salvation. What he did 2,000 years ago earned that. We're accepting that gift, and he has purified us from our sins right then and there. That's it, okay? But there's another term. There's a process that we don't ever talk about in the church enough anymore, and that is called sanctification. So salvation has to do with what Jesus already did for us, and it's done, Sanctification is an ongoing process that involves the Holy Spirit purifying us to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And this is a process that happens day by day, moment by moment, week after week. It's not an instant thing. So a prayer that you might start praying for the Holy Spirit to work in your life in this area is, Lord, purify me. Lord, purify me. And that's a scary prayer to pray sometimes. Because here's the problem with that, and some of you are going to really struggle with this. I'm just being real with you. In order for the Holy Spirit to start to purify you, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And a lot of us don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to open up. We don't like to let Him go into those places that the tartar has built up and brush. Um, we don't like that because it requires us to be out there and vulnerable. Um, so sanctification, it literally means, if you translate it, to make holy. To make holy. Which means we are to be made holy by the Holy Spirit purifying us. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. And again, we talked about this uh, in our last sermon series, but remember, holy has nothing to do with wings and halos and being perfect. Holy literally means to be set apart, to be different. So we are to become more and more holy throughout our life, meaning we are to become more and more different from the world, more and more set apart from the world by becoming more and more like Jesus. That's purification. Purification. So that's what God wanted to do with His people here in Ezekiel, he wanted to set them apart. He wanted to call them out. Um, one of the things that the Bible calls the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. 
In fact, Jesus said it in John 16, verse 13. It says, but when he, remember, we talked about this last week, the spirit is not an it, it's not a force. The spirit is a he. He's alive. He's God himself. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. So the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit wants to purify your heart to make your heart more inclined to the truth. That's what he's saying. There was a a period in my young years when I was being raised by my parents, and they tell this story too often, but um, that I was becoming a little bit of a habitual liar in my childhood. And I would lie about this and that and everything, and they would even catch me in the act, and they would try to discipline me and teach me and coach me, and nothing worked. They'd put me on timeout. Nothing was working. I would continue to do it. But once I had the Holy Spirit, which God promises you when you get saved, there was this thing called conviction. And all of a sudden, there was something happening inside of me as God started to purify my heart, even at that young age, where every time that I would start to tell a lie, all of a sudden, it was a different feeling inside. All of a sudden, I would catch myself and I would actually out loud say, actually, no, that's not how it happened, or actually, no, that's not true. Let me stop myself until I actually got rid of that habit. That's the process of the Holy Spirit purifying your heart. What my parents could not convince me to do through punishment or discipline, the Holy Spirit did convince me to do through the conviction and the purifying of what's inside. He'll purify your desires. And so you may not be a liar, um, but you might have some kind of heart issue. Everybody in this room has some kind of heart issue. We all do. And so maybe it's pride. You're so proud that you can't take criticism or you're so proud that Um, You have to have it all together all the time, or you can't take somebody speaking truth into your life about changes you need to make. You're too proud about it. Maybe you have some jealousy of somebody, and it's a friend of yours. You love this person. You don't even know why you're jealous, but you can't stand it when they're blessed, and you're not. Something like that going on. I don't know what it is for you, but um, God wants to purify your heart. So let me tell you about me a little bit, because years ago, when I first started preaching and teaching, I was doing a little bit of it where I travel around and do it in different places. And so I remember specifically this one day where I was walking out onto this stage at a church in Florida to, to teach the Word of God. And God did something inside me where He further purified my heart. So up until that point, and this isn't how it should have been, but I'm just being honest with you, every time that I would get up to preach the Word of God, my main goal was to impress people. My main goal was I want people to be impressed by my knowledge. I want people to be impressed by me. And that's not the right heart. That's not the right reason behind it. And so as I walked out that day, God did something in my mind where he spoke to me and he prompted me. And he said, Jared, this isn't about you. This is about my word changing lives. So from now on, from this day forward, anytime you teach the word of God, I don't want you to ever think about impressing anybody. In fact, I want you to realize that sometimes you're going to upset people if you really preach my word. And he said, so instead of impressing people, I want you to speak it as clearly and truthfully as you can, and I want you to, instead of impressing people, try to be a blessing to people. And from that day forward, it changed. And that's my reason for doing it. And that's, that's, that's my goal um, every, every weekend when I do it. It's different. Um, and you know, I have to brush daily <laughs> the, the, the dingy film of wanting to impress people, still. Because it's a, it's a sickness in me. But it's not the right reason behind it, so God has to purify my heart. I'd rather be a blessing to people. So one question that's helpful to ask that I often ask or that, that the Spirit asks me 
is why are you doing this really? And the really is actually the important part. So for example, who'd you get dressed for this morning? Really? Like, why'd you get dressed this morning? Really? Like, was it to look good for your spouse, which is a good thing? Was it to, you know, get, be comfortable or, or look presentable? Fine. Or was it to show off in some way and impress people? See, asking about the reasons you're doing things is an important part of this process. Um, why did I buy this car, really? Was it because I need reliable transportation and I can afford it? Was it because I want to have the nicest car in the neighborhood and impress everybody around me, and so I spent money that I don't have, and now I'm in chains? See, when you ask that question, why did I do this really, it kind of shows what's really in your heart and really inside of you, and it starts to reveal stuff. Sometimes the stuff that we want to use God for is not stuff that He would actually put in our hearts as a desire. And so I think God is up there saying, more than I want you to know what I know, because I think that's how we approach God sometimes. God, what do you know that I don't know that can help me here? That can make me better off? That can make me feel better? All this stuff. I think rather than God saying, I want you to know what I know, I think he wants to say, you, I want you to know who I am. That's far more important. Because that's what purifying your desires is all about. Look, the Holy Spirit goes way deeper than getting rid of all the major sins in our life. It's a way deeper process than that. You know, don't smoke crack. Don't sleep with prostitutes, don't hurt cats, or whatever it is. Like, it's, 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 it's deeper than getting rid of these, these huge, ridiculous sins. It's a process of purification inside of us. I'm talking about the contents of my heart matter more to God. And, and so, because here's the thing. Have you noticed that you can do the right thing for the wrong reason? Right? For my example I just gave you, I was doing something that was right. I was preaching the Word of God to people. But I was doing it for the wrong reason. And you know what? It just really doesn't matter if you're doing it for the wrong reason because God cares more about the heart. He cares about the motives. You know, I see people sometimes who, who do the right thing that God would tell them to do out of obligation, but they go kicking and screaming through it the whole time. If they actually had their desires purified on the inside, it would have much more punch. So, you know, this is pretty important stuff. Like, like here's a good question for parents. Why do I, because we asked ourselves this, why do I want my kids to behave in public really? <laughs> is it because they're inconveniencing me or they're embarrassing me? Or is it because I want them to grow up to have their full potential in Christ when they get older? What's the reason I really want them to, to, to behave in public? Why do you want to succeed in your job really? Is it so that people think you're the big man or is it so that people think that you're, you got it all together or you're skilled? Or is it because you want to be the best you can be so that everybody around you in that job is actually influenced for the kingdom of God? Why do you do it, really? See, because I've learned that if I let the Holy Spirit purify my desires first, then I don't need Him to micromanage all my decisions because what happens in my life seems to be exactly what God would want. <laughs> it has to start with purifying my desires. So the number one thing you need to ask in life is not, if you want God to lead you, is not, God, should I or shouldn't I? God, should I do this? God, shouldn't I do this? It, that's not the, the, the question we need to ask. The number one question we need to ask is, God, would you give me your heart in this situation? Would you help me to care about what you care about in this situation? Would you help me see this the way that you see this? Because I don't want a heart of stone that doesn't feel anything. I want a heart of flesh that feels what you feel. That's what I want. So give me your heart. James, in the book of James, says it pretty strongly. James chapter 4, starting in verse 2. 
He says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, here's the problem, when you ask, you do not receive still. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then he comes across kind of strong. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's strong language. I know, I'm working off the same text as you. I'm getting convicted as well. But here, here's the part that's so pertinent in our, in our lives. He says, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit has caused to live in us envies intensely? And that's a strange word to use about God, envy. But remember, we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is a He. He feels things toward you. God feels things toward you. He's affectionate toward you. He cares about you. And so, when He sees us, excuse my language, whoring ourselves out for everything that's not about Him in our lives, He's envious of that. He's envious of that. And so, His desire is that we were created for so much more than that. Than to, than to give ourselves out to all these things of the world that, that He says don't produce any fruit. And so, um, the Bible says that the Spirit envies, that He's affectionate toward you. And so before we ask the Lord for what we want, I think it's more important that we ask Him to give us the right things to want. Because if we're asking for what we want and it's not what He wants us to want, what's the point? Our desires aren't right. I had a friend in college who, he finally, right after college, moved into his first apartment that had a dishwasher. Because they don't have those in a lot of the apartments when you're in college. And uh, for a whole year after he moved in, he never even used it. And I was like, you're crazy. What, what's the problem? And eventually his wife, you know, he got married. His wife said, um, you need to start using the dishwasher, babe. And he said, yeah, I guess I do. And so there's a couple reasons why he wasn't using it. The first reason is because he wasn't used to it. He was used to doing everything by hand. He can get over that. But here's the second reason he wasn't using the dishwasher. And this is the reason a lot of us don't like to use the dishwasher. In order to load the dishwasher with more stuff that has to be cleaned, first you have to unload it. And I hate that part. I'll leave the clean dishes in there for a week and let the sink pile up rather than unloading it. And I think that's true in how the Holy Spirit works in our lives as well. Some of us are so against unloading the stuff that He's already worked to purify that we can't put the new dirt in that needs to be cleansed. We're not willing to unload. That's often why we don't allow God to purify our desires. Because we don't want to unload all the stuff. And I don't want to really deal with the why. God, I just want to know the what. Just tell me what to do. I don't want to deal with the why I'm not doing it the way you want me to do it. But you know, we counsel a lot of people here at this church. It's never about changing their behavior and telling them don't do this anymore. It's always about, hey, why are you doing this in the first place? Because if we don't figure that out, you're going to go back and do it again and again and again. People that go through recovery through this church, the ones who come and say, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to stop doing that are very different from the ones who say, why am I doing this in the first place and let's unload that? That's where true freedom comes from. That's where it comes from. So what should I do, God? I actually heard this one recently. Can you help me by praying that God would reveal to me where I'm supposed to get married? Speak, Lord. And I think God's saying, I don't care where you get married. 
I just want you to be ready to love your spouse sacrificially when you do. You get married in a palace, you can get married in a barn, you can get married at Disneyland, you can get married at your house. I don't really care as long as you are ready when you do get married to give yourself up like Christ gave himself up for the church because that's the only thing that will make your marriage successful. I think he's more concerned about how you are when you're married than where you get married. Just saying. Because the Holy Spirit wants to purify my heart. And so in order to allow him to purify my heart, here's the thing. I've got to look at the ingredients that I'm putting into my life and into my spirit. And, and that's the best way that I know to allow God to better purify my heart is to look at the ingredients that I'm putting in. So I call on him, I ask him, I pray to him, but I have to look at the ingredients. What are the active ingredients? And I'm not talking about mint oil and citric acid and the stuff from the pepsinant. I'm talking about every day, what is the stuff that I'm putting into my mind, that I'm putting into my spirit? Like, like if you want God to purify your desires today, take inventory of the ingredients that you're putting into your life. What influences are speaking into your life right now? Who are you surrounding yourself with that you give permission to speak into your life? If those are voices that lead you in a direction character-wise that's opposite of what God's called you to be, you need to look at that carefully because those are ingredients that are speaking into your life. Um, what entertainment are you dominantly putting into your mind? And guys, I'm not telling you what to watch and not watch it on TV. I am not a legalistic pastor. I'm really pretty edgy in that area. I'm not going to ever do that. But at the same time, I have to tell you the truth, which is it's proven not just in the scriptures, but even scientifically that the things you put into your mind become what's in your heart. And so some of you go around praying for joy constantly, for God to give you joy, but you're watching depressing crap all week on TV. And God's like, how am I going to give you joy? That's what you're filling your mind with every day. And it really does affect that. It's counterproductive to joy. You know, it's like, he's like, what do you want me to work with here? <laughs> you're not putting anything joyful in. You're putting the opposite in. The Spirit of God is a searchlight. He reveals the truth. He reveals what's there and everything always comes to the light, whether you want it to or not. So it's better to just do it yourself and let's unpack this. Let's unload it. Let's let him shine on it. Here's another one that I always like to ask. What are the words that I'm speaking? What are the words that are coming out of my mouth? What kind of ingredients are coming out of my mouth? Because that's another thing that's proven not just biblically, but in research. The words that come out of your mouth are what starts to eventually dominate your mind, and that's what's played out through your heart. That's how it works. James talks about that a lot in the book of James. The words that come out of your mouth. So if you walk around constantly with all this negativity spewing out of your mouth, that is what's going to eventually be in your heart. It's a proven fact. So you've got to watch the words that come out of your mouth. God talks about taking thoughts captive before they come out of your mouth and tweaking them. <laughs> There's a powerful passage about that. We don't have time to go there. But. So God wants to purify my desires. And then the beautiful thing is after he starts to do that, he also will do this thing called prompting. Okay? The Spirit's going to prompt your decisions and where to go in life. So I take that from Ezekiel uh, verse 27. He says, I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. I love that imagery that he's going to move me because he's in me. And so, so I believe that God wants to prompt specific obedience in our lives. In this very room, I believe there's a lot of things out here that God wants to prompt many of us to obey specifically right now in our lives that we're not obeying. And so when you tune into his voice and he starts to purify your desires, and then you start to listen for his voice and be prompted by the Spirit on a daily basis. And by the way, 
some people think of this in a weird way. It's not about becoming some kind of robot that just does everything and the Spirit tells you and you don't have any free will. That's not what it's about. That's not the primary way the Spirit speaks. The Spirit primarily speaks through impressions. The Holy Spirit speaks through other people. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Bible if you read it. <laughs> a lot of people struggle to hear the voice of God. They say this out loud to me, and are you reading the Bible? No. Well, that's one of the primary ways God speaks. And nothing that you think God says that contradicts this is even true. So you should start here. You should start here. Let me show you just a couple things real quick from the New Testament. These are pretty cool. You're going to like it. Um, in Acts chapter 11 one time, people, you know, people say, does God still speak specifically today? Absolutely. I believe with all my heart that he does. So let me, let me show you how specific God is. And I don't believe that this stuff is just for one time, like back in the Bible days. I believe God still speaks today. I can't find in the Bible where it's supposed to be like it happened then and then it stopped happening. I can't find that anywhere. So um, we're supposed to hear from God too. So listen to this about Peter. One time Peter in Acts 11 verse 4, he's defending himself to a group of people that are attacking him because he was taking the truth to the Gentiles and they were upset about that because they only wanted the truth to go to the Jews. And so it says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying... And in a trance, I saw a vision. This is one of those whew, crazy movements of God, right? I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. And I could go into all kinds of stuff with this passage, but the whole point of me reading that passage is to show you that this was one of those things where the Spirit of God spoke to Peter in this trance, in this vivid vision, which I want to point that out to you because that's a very rare way that God speaks. It happens. It happened in the Bible, it happens today, but if you really look at how many times that type of God's communication happened in the Bible, it was very rare. Because I know some of you say, you know, I want a vision from God and He's not speaking to me. He doesn't always speak in these vivid visions and dreams. That's a more rare occurrence. Yes, it happens, but it's a rare occurrence if you look throughout Scripture. That was a specific thing that God did for Peter at that time. Didn't happen all the time. So he had a big vision. But, check this out. So these are right side by side. In verse 11, it says, Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And here's the phrase I want to key in on. If, you, if you're willing, read this out loud with me. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. The Spirit told me. So, so there's this voice from heaven, right? There's the voice from heaven, the sheep, the animals, the sheet, the, the, the four-footed animals, all this stuff he's seeing, this vivid vision. But then there's, he just says, no, the Spirit just told me, don't hesitate. That wasn't a vision, it was the Spirit just giving him an impression. It was the Spirit prompting him to not hesitate, but to go. And he went. And the man that they led to faith, when they went, by the way, became a huge catalyst for reaching more and more people for Jesus. In other words, this wasn't a vivid vision. This was just a prompting of the Spirit, an impression where they felt like God was saying, don't hesitate, go. They listened, they followed, and God did big things through it. So 
What hesitations perhaps does the Spirit want to override in your life? Maybe it's somebody that you've been hesitating to forgive for 10 years for something they did 10 years ago, but it would be embarrassing to forgive them. It would be awkward. It would be inconvenient, so I'm not going to do it. Maybe there's something in your life that God's calling you to give away. And guys, this is one of those that I pretty much always listen to because I don't know what kind of things the devil always prompts you to do, but I'm pretty sure giving's not on the list. So basically, anytime God tells me or prompts me to give something to somebody in need, I usually just give it because I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the devil. Um, I, that's probably the Holy Spirit prompting my obedience. So you would pray, prompt me to obey you, God. It's a good prayer, and he will. So, so check this out. Sometimes the Spirit plays offense, and sometimes the Spirit plays defense. Okay, He'll line up on either side of the ball. You're going to love this too. Acts 16, it says, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit kept them from doing th something. What did he keep them from doing? Cussing? Beating somebody up? No, watch this. They were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word. What's the Holy Spirit doing fighting against the preacher trying to get the Word out? <laughs> That's a different one. They were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia, and when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night... Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so here's the thing. What happened in Peter's life in, in Acts 11 is mirrored by the exact opposite thing in Acts 16 in Paul's life. Let's look at that real quick. So Peter... First, he sees this vivid vision from God, and then he goes and does what he's called to do. So he sees all the, 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 the truth and the clarity of it, and then he goes and does it. Paul, it's a little different. He has the Spirit prompting him and keep prompting him to do something, and then later he sees the vision of why it happened and what the purpose was. And that's more often how it works, guys, that you're prompted by the Spirit, you obey, you don't hesitate, you obey, and later you see why it was. Or later you see the fruit. You don't always get to see it right away. You just have to follow. Parents, you better get in a tag team relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to go into some places with your kids that you don't get to go. And you don't know what's going on. And so you need to listen very carefully to the prompting. And so if your child says something like, I want to spend the night over here, but there's something in your spirit and you don't even know what it is telling you not to allow that to happen, you listen. You don't hesitate. Because the Spirit of God still speaks like that today. The Spirit of God still speaks like that. And you know what? If you want to go do it anyway, child, you can go. Just don't come back because you don't live here anymore. This is my house, and I do what I want to do. And I follow the Spirit of God. And again, I said this last week, the Spirit of God will never prompt you to do something that contradicts the Bible. Okay? The Spirit of God does not do that. So don't be going home and saying, you know, the Spirit of God told me to talk back to you, Dad. Because so, that contradicts the Bible. So let me finish the Scripture. Ezekiel verses 28 through 30. He says, You will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. 
I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. See, when the Spirit of God stops you from doing stuff, it's not to limit your life, it's to produce more fruit in your life. We don't see it that way. We see it as, oh, if I really obey God in this area or that area, it's going to limit my life. It's not going to make me as happy. This is more convenient. But really, when you do things God's way, that's when the fruit starts to come out in your life. It's to create abundance of fruit. That's what it's for. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Uh, We're going to close. I'm going to tell you a quick story um, as I close. There was a pastor that I knew years ago who, he just had some incredible stories. And one time he was asked, what's one of the craziest things that happened in your, uh, in your 30 years of ministry. And I really respect this guy because he was pastoring the same church for over 30 years. He committed to these people um, just to stay with them for, for 30 years. And, and, and so he knew something about God and faithfulness. And, and so somebody asked him, what's the craziest thing that God ever told you to do? What's the craziest thing God ever told you to do? And he tells the story. He says he was driving his car on the way to the hospital to do a hospital visit. And there was this house that he drove by every day. He drives by this house. He didn't even know who lived there. But there's this house on the way to the hospital that he'd drive by on his way to work or wherever. He'd drive by this house constantly. And for some reason, it just was in his mind. And this one time, he was driving by this house on his way to the hospital, and he felt the Spirit of God prompt him to stop at that house and knock on the door. And he thought, you know, God, this is crazy. It's a stranger that lives there. I don't know who lives there. It's just a house. I, this is ridiculous. But it was so strong that he actually listened to it. And so he pulls over, and he walks up the driveway, and he goes up to the door, and he rings the doorbell. And he waits for a few minutes. Nobody comes to the door. So he thinks, well, maybe it wasn't God, but just in case it was, he takes out his business card, and he writes on the back, hey, I know this sounds bizarre, but God told me to stop here and see if you need anything. Here's my number. And he goes to stick it in the crack of the door. And when he does, the door pushes open because it wasn't latched all the way. And through the frame of the door, he sees a man pointing a gun at his wife's head. And so now he's freaking out inside, but he walks in and he talks to the guy down and saves this woman's life. And um, so he talks about how, I know that's such a crazy thing that doesn't happen to all of us. Like, that's an insane story. But he talks about how, what if I had not listened to the prompting of the Spirit that day? Like, what if I'd seen that in the news the next day? Like, that's a, that's a crazy thing. And so, I just want to close by saying, you might not have some, you know, crazy rescue 911 spirit stop at some random house story, <laughs> and that's okay. But the Spirit of God does still prompt today, and does still speak today, and does still lead you today. And sometimes I do wonder how many times have each of us gone through our day and felt like the Spirit was prompting us to do something or not do something or say something. How many times have we not done it? How many times have we hesitated? And what God opportunities have we missed out on? What fruit have we missed out on that He could have wanted to do through us that day? 
And so I don't know what it is for you, but again, it, it could be letting go of some bitterness or forgiving somebody. It could be reaching out to somebody that, that you feel like you've been prompted to reach out to just to encourage and love on them because you never know who needs it most. I don't know what it is for you, but, but when the Spirit prompts, don't hesitate. And I give you my word, if we can minimize that hesitation when the Spirit of God speaks to us, we're going to see more fruit than we've ever seen before. Because when God speaks, I think something that's really lacking in the church today is immediate obedience. And we wait and we wait and we wait and we misinterpret that verse that says, wait on the Lord to mean that we're supposed to never act. And I think that's a tragedy. By the way, you want to celebrate church? Seven people got baptized last night at our Saturday service. Yeah. It was amazing. Amazing. But um, we're going to worship right now, so... Um, let's give him the praise he deserves.